Can I start off with some vulnerability this morning? Um, I struggle with the S word. Uh, and it's not a cuss word or anything. Not, maybe not any of the S words that you're thinking of. I struggle with significance. Meaning, if I'm not doing or being something significant, or, or let, me, let me rephrase that. If I don't do something that feels significant, right? Because that can flip-flop all the time, can't it? Like what people consider significant. Like so, somebody thinking you're doing something significant is totally different than what another person might think is significant, right? So that flip-flops all the time. So if I'm not doing or being something significant, I can't feel alive. I struggle. I fall into a little bit of a dark place. Sometimes I get a little bit depressed. And I'm not saying doing something significant is bad. I'm saying when that becomes your idol, it is bad. And and we, we ended up last week talking about what an idol is. We just mentioned and breezed by it. So let me tell you what an idol is. An idol is what you give your worship and reverence to. In other words, everybody has two hands, and those two hands are full of something. One hand is full of worship, and one hand is full of reverence. And you can give this worship to anything. Sex, or work, or money, or a person, or a family, or a culture. You can give your worship to anything. You can give your reverence. You can open up this hand to anything. Any of those same things. Reverence is just what you give your honor and your time to. Like, you can give your worship and your reverence to anything. And whatever that thing is, is is your idol. And some of us have what we call pesky idols. The idols that you Chuck Norris off the shelf... Anybody remember Chuck Norris? Maybe Denzel? Maybe you need some Denzel, Jason Statham, Ronda Rousey, whatever. Whoever you're thinking of, uh, you need to Chuck Norris, that, that same idol, off the shelf. Because it keeps on finding its way back to your shelf. Like you'll kick it off and you'll surrender it to God. And you'll be like, God, I love you. I love you. I'm sorry that I worshipped that thing. And then it'll just end up back on the shelf. And so you've got to kick it off one more, one more time. And, and for me, that, that pesky idol has always been significant. And I can really, really get in trouble uh, because I'll start to pour all of my hopes and dreams into the wrong significant areas. I've been vulnerable about this many times from the stage. When I first moved here, uh, I, I gave myself to all the wrong things. I came here to plant this church, and, and we, like, we just found ourselves in the first six months in a, in a pretty dark place, and it was really my fault because I was giving myself to the wrong things. Like, we do this thing in the church, it's a dumb thing, where we compare from church to church uh, the, the significance of that church or the success of that church by how many people are going to that church. It's super dumb, uh, and the church can't shake it because we live in a, we live in a church age where there are pastors who have a million Twitter followers and speak in stadiums. So it's really hard for churches to shake this. And, and I'm in Michigan, and, and my, my DS, the, the guy who runs like 50 churches, who oversees 50 churches, he would call me up at a conference, and he would, he would literally say, this is our all-star. Look, his church went from this to this. And it's in moments like those where I bought and paid for the significant idol. And I gave myself to that, meaning that is now my significance. It's not who I worship. It's not Jesus, what he calls me, what he made me, what he called me to do, uh, what, what, he, what he's named me. It was none of that, that he died for me, that he resurrected for me. It was none of that. It was, it was just how many people go to my church and who calls me an all-star. And when I moved here, I had none of that. I moved to a giant city. Nobody knows my name. Nobody cares 
right? And I fall into this deep, dark hole because that idol was no longer doing for me what I needed it to do for me. Do you see how that works? No longer was it feeding my soul the way I needed it to. And no longer was I able to kick it off the shelf every time I needed to. So maybe you can just confess with me this morning. Maybe this is what you struggle with. Maybe if you're not doing or being something significant or nobody thinks you're significant, you fall into a dark hole. You treat people poorly. You can't find joy. You can't find life. And you take that out on your family or you take that out on the people around you. You take that out on your friends. Maybe that's why you got the grades that you got. Not because you wanted to be, you know, good at school and and go somewhere impressive, but you knew somebody would think you're significant if you got that 4.0. And so you got a 3.8 and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to ruin my life to get that 4.0. And you just, you just studied all night. I'm not saying this is terrible, but I'm saying what your motives are, they can, they can be something that, where you're worshiping something false. Uh, maybe that's why you have the job that you have, because if you didn't have a significant job, you'd be nothing. And you've told yourself that. You bought that lie. So let's just take a moment. Let's just close our eyes. Do something different this morning. Maybe you want to confess quietly or to yourself or to God right now in your head that that, that's one of your idols, that you have worshipped significance. Let's take a few moments. Okay, would you open your eyes with me? I think we needed to do that this morning because we need a blank slate. Jesus is going to write on our blank slate what our significance really is. And he needs, he needs a blank slate to do that. You can't, you can't come into this message and into the scripture thinking your significance is anything other than what Jesus is telling you your significance is. And so we're going to be in Mark 3.13 this morning. Mark 3.13. Please turn there if you can. Hopefully you got one of these things called a paper Bible. If not, you got a Bible on your phone. Uh, and if not, it's going to be on this big, giant Bible up here on the screen. Either way, we have it for you, Mark 3.13. If you're brand new, we're going verse by verse to the gospel according to Mark. We do that, uh, and it's going to take all year. And we're doing that because for us, Scriptures is king. Jesus is the pastor of this church. It's the only thing that can change our lives. We cannot change our own lives. And so we let Jesus change our lives through his scriptures. Can you pray with me as you turn there? God, we welcome you in this place. We welcome you to teach us what significance is. We confess. God, we pray that, we pray that this church would be a safe place to confess, to repent, to be open, to be vulnerable. We pray that this place would be a place of no masks, that nobody would come in here trying to prove nothing to nobody, that we would walk in here ourselves, all of who we are, for all of who you made us, and we would be that open in front of each other. And God, if we're struggling, that we would confess it, and we would know that you died for that thing. Yes, Jesus. In your name I pray these things. Amen. All right, let's get after it together. Verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Let's push the early pause button. He's going to do something really significant. He's going to call these 12 men up here. He's going to speak significance over them. He's going to call them to something, but first he brings them up a mountain. Why does God do this? Why does God all throughout the scripture from Moses to Elijah to Jesus speak to people and give revelation on mountains? does it all the time. Revelation meaning he, re- he reveals something important on mountains all the time. Mount of Transfiguration, Ten Commandments. 
It's the, the greatest sermon of all time is called the Sermon on the Mount, right? When, when, when Jesus uh, gives us the greatest command of all time, go and make uh, disciples, therefore, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where does he do it? He does it on a mountain. Why does he do this? When Jesus denies Satan, Satan's trying to give him false revelation, and Satan brings him up to a, a high place and, and tries to give him false revelation, and he denies him there. Why, why, do, why do all these significant things happen on mountains? I think it's for the view. I think it's for the view. Okay? Now, now he wants to get us alone first, but two, it's for the view. And I'm not talking about how pretty it is. And I realize many of us haven't been on a mountain in a long time. We're like, <laughs> there was a... Uh, there was so we went to this uh, this birthday party in the Burbs, and we had another kid with us uh, from another family. We always have another kid with us from another family. Uh, we always have like six kids with us, and so this kid is like, "Wow, it's really dark." It, it, it was just the shade from the trees in the Burbs, he's, but he's like, "It's really dark outside." Like, no, kid, those, those are trees, right? So we're not used to mountains here. We've been in the city for a long time. It's hard for us to understand this, but but I believe he takes them up to a mountain for perspective. For perspective, not for the view, but for perspective. See, often Jesus gives you perspective before he gives you a revelation. Often Jesus gives you perspective before he gives you a revelation. Meaning he can't trust you with this huge revelation because you don't have perspective yet. So some of you are clamoring for it. God, tell me something. Give me something. Tell me what to do, where to move, how to do it. Tell me what you want to say about our marriage, but you haven't done the work to get perspective yet. Think about the perspective from a mountain. When you're standing on a mountain, you see people. People are small. And you look around and you see, man, creation is big, which is the right perspective. Jesus says, God says through the Bible, all men are like grass. They grow up and they wither away. I mean, you may be like, well, no, Justin, it's a big deal. We're a big deal. Not with some perspective. We're a vapor. You put that up against the backdrop of, of eternity. We're a vapor. We give ourselves to fleeting pressure, pleasures. We cheat on God like that. We cheat on each other like that. We're fleeting. So when you're on a mountain, you actually have perspective because you're looking around, you're like, man, this is vast. You have this stunning thought like, look at how big all this are. Even one of these trees is amazing. How one of these trees grows up is amazing. And then there's a billion trees all around you. And you can see for miles that way and miles that way. And you have the perspective of God and you realize, man, creation is big and therefore who's big? Creator. So on a mountain, you actually have perspective. And Jesus wants to take you to get perspective before he gives you this revelation. Because this revelation will take perspective. Now, this is not the main idea this morning, but it's an idea of importance. Some of us want revelation without the perspective. We want God to tell us something significant, but it's been a year since we've been in the prayer closet. It's been a year since we've been on the mountain. And I'm not talking about you have to go up onto a mountain and go, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm talking about it's been a year since you've gotten alone with God. It's been weeks since you've gotten alone with God and given him all of your attention and all of your motives and all of your thoughts and all of your hearts. You want revelation. You want him to reveal something big, but you haven't got perspective in a long time. In other words, you think you're way too big and he's way too small. You don't have room for the revelation yet. You don't have room for him to reveal something big because you think he's small and you're big. And he needs you to get perspective first. 
Now, the disciples are ready. They have perspective. Jesus has been walking them around for years now, a couple years at this point, maybe a year, and, and they know who he is and who they are. At least some of them are confessing this at, at this point. And this is what he says to them. And he appointed, sorry, Tom, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, all, all that's pretty cool, but let, let's, let's just give you the big idea real quick. Let me sum this up and give you the big idea of the message today. Okay? First, he calls all to himself. And who he calls, he appoints. And who he appoints, he gives authority to. This is crazy. Like, the ending of this is, is, is crazy. He gives you authority to even cast out demons. And some of y'all are like, I don't want to meet a demon. That's fine. But just, just think about the fact that God gives you authority to even cast out demons. We'll talk more about that later. But he calls all to himself. Who he calls, he appoints. And who he appoints, he gives authority to. And this is where your significant li- significance lies. In this. The fact that there's a God out there who died for you, who loves you, who thought of you, who numbered the hairs on your head, he calls you to himself, he gives you an appointment, he gives you a mission, and then he gives you the authority to to carry out that mission. I love it. Let's talk about the calling first. I think think people outside the church could make fun of us quite quite often because we're always like, I have a calling. They're like, what? Right? And some of it's really legit. We always say this stuff, I have a calling. This is my calling. That is my calling. We say it all the time. Some of it's really legit. Some of it's not so legit. You're like, I have a calling to be on stage in front of millions. I'm like, I'm not sure God told you that. Like when I was in high school, we used to do this thing, or not high school, but college, uh, where you pray over somebody. I can't tell you how many times people prayed over me. You're supposed to be on the stage in front of millions. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but probably not. Are you sure? Because the last person told me that last month. And it just feels like the go-to prophecy, you know? Sometimes the calling is a little bit, eh. And sometimes it's legit. Like, my, my wife and I firmly believe that we are here through dreams, through visions, uh, through a peace that surpasses all understanding, and through only God can orchestrate these small pieces, circumstances, to move us here. And we believe our calling is to plant a church who plant more churches, who make disciples, who make more disciples. That's what my wife and I believe. That's our calling. All of you have a calling. Some of you believe it's, it's the marketplace. You're like, my calling is to be the light in a dark place in the marketplace, and I'm going to be there forever. That's an amazing calling. So, some of you feel called to something or someone or a people group or an area, whatever. God has put this unction in your bones where you need to do this because God told you to do this, and he told you through a number of circumstances. That is a calling. These men get called to be apostles, which means they're going to be overseers, that, that catapult the movement of God, the movement of church. Amazing. But what does he do first? What does he do first? Let's read this closely. Now, sometimes you've got to read the scriptures like a cereal box. You know what I'm talking about? Like that, that, that moment in the morning where you're looking at a cereal box, and for some reason you've been caught up in this cereal box for 20 minutes. You're like, yes, oats and honey and riboflavin. Or you're doing like the little, the little maze on the back. You're like, what has happened to me? I'm 40, and I'm doing a maze on the back of the Lucky Charms box. That's fine. Like, you've leaned into the cereal box. This is what I want you to do this morning. Read the cereal box with me. Go in close. Because sometimes if you don't, if you don't take the time, you don't pause, you don't, you don't really look in, you don't really get it. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. That's their first calling. Their first calling is not to go out. Their first calling is him. 
It's to be with him. It's to be near him. It's to follow him. It's to be intimate with him. It's to, to get to the prayer closet. It's to get to the mountain and to always be with Jesus first. See, God is not going to call you out until you understand that your first calling is in. God is not going to call you out until you understand your first calling is in. It's home. It's, it's, it's pressing your ear against his chest. Because he knows if you go out first and you do something of significance, guess what you're going to attribute that significance to? Yourself. And then you're going to like it. You're going to like that. And then you're going to do more things under your own power, under your own source. You're going to do things with you being the, the, the power or the catapult or the, or the catalyst of that thing. And then you're going to think your value is in doing instead of someone. Your value is going to be in a what instead of a who. And God has mountain perspective. We have street perspective. We can see a little bit that way, a little bit that way. He has mountain perspective. He knows that if you, son or daughter, get caught up in the what instead of the who, it's going to be a problem. And you're going to develop an idol of significance. He's going to call you in first before he calls you out. I was recently at this spring recital. Uh, it's kind of what parents do. We go to 40 of these things a year. Okay? They're always on Friday night. Sweet. Okay? And, uh, you know, it was my turn because we can always use uh, Selah, you know. So Anne's, Anne's back with Selah. You know, we kind of alternate a little bit. Uh, and so, so, so she's home with Selah. I go out with the kids. I take J.D. and Annabelle. Annabelle is playing piano in front of people for the first time. And Annabelle is really musical, and she picks things up really easily. So I'm excited, but I'm a little bit nervous for her because she's never played in front of people. And it's a nervous room. Everybody's super quiet. It's hot. I brought J.D. J.D. is hungry, tired, uh, and he's breaking wind in public, okay? <laughs> Welcome to fatherhood, you know? I'm like, buddy, they don't know if it's you or me. He's like, you're just smirking at me. Like, <laughs> this is fatherhood. I won't tell that story when he gets older, okay? He likes it now. So, th so there we are, and I'm like, please start, okay? Please start. And Annabelle's up first, and she does amazing. She doesn't miss a note. Right? She practices every day for 10 minutes. She doesn't miss a note. She's like the youngest kid there. She does an amazing job. And I'm like, yes, good job, kid. And then I realized she was first. And there's 34 other kids to go. I thought to myself, I'm going to die in this room. This is, this is where it's going to happen. And so this other kid, he gets up, and he's going to play the guitar, and he's going to sing, and the teacher goes with him right, because the teacher's got to play like a supporting role, uh, and he starts strumming, and he's not hitting a note, I mean, it's wah, 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 I'm like, oh my goodness, and the teacher is singing with him, but the teacher, I don't know if the teacher didn't know how to, to go with him, but the teacher goes falsetto, like brosetto, he, it's a man, and he's going falsetto the entire song, and it's so bad, I don't even know what song it is, but they're like, three, they're like three words in, four words in. I'm like, oh, no. And I realize it's hallelujah. Yes. And if you know that, you know there's it's like seven verses, 12 choruses. It's usually just sung in bars where people are drunk and emotional. And they put it on the jukebox. And you're like, oh, no. We're going to be here all day. And it's, but guess where the parents were? You can guess where the parents were. They like created their own scaffolding, Right? 
He's like, babe, get portrait mode. I'm getting landscape. They're like, they're so proud of their kid. They're like in different angles. They're shoving people out of the way because they're so proud of their kid who's just not really good at this. But they're so proud. And you know what? I would be too. I'd be up there, me and Ann, we'd be coordinating it out because I'd be so proud of my kid. Because most of fatherhood, most of fatherhood is assurance of the unconditional. Most motherhood is assurance of the unconditional. That it's never about what you do, kid. It's always about who we are together. I'm going to love you no matter what. Even if you're really bad at playing hallelujah for 34 minutes, I'm going to be here loving you no matter what. That if your kid comes home and, and they're drunk, like that you're not just going to ream them out and condemn them for the rest of their life. But you're going to figure out, why, why did this happen? Let's get to your heart. Let's get to why. I love you. I'm your parent. I'm going to guide you through life. Let's get to the why. That if your kid, you know, doesn't make it into Princeton, that you're going to love them. Community college, whatever, doesn't matter. You're going to love them no matter what. I was a community college type person, so I know, I know that I need to be loved no matter what. It's like, that's what parenthood is about. Guess who, guess who invented this? Jesus. That's why he died for us. Assurance of the unconditional. And part of that is just so you know, it's never about what. Because as a follower of Jesus, you're going to screw up a ton. A ton. You're going to do great things and not so great things, but, it, but it's always about who you are in him first. Your first calling is always to him. To know the who. Now, I've had two separate young men come up to me and ask me the same exact question. They were both going into ministry, um, and they, they, wanted, they wanted the secret sauce. I don't know why they asked me this. I was only like seven years in when they asked me this. Uh, but they wanted the secret sauce. They wanted to be in ministry forever. They wanted to do significant things for Jesus. They wanted to follow their calling really well. And so they asked me, what's, what's the secret sauce? Uh, one of them was my brother-in-law. And I told him just two words, and I believe these two words today as much as I believe them then. And those two words are stay close. Just stay close. You'll be fine. Stay close to Jesus. He tattooed it on his chest. I didn't mean it would go that far. Um, but that, that, I, I mean that. Like, you're going to do amazing things, and you're going to do horrible things. You're going you're gonna to make it, and you're not going to make it. You're going to go home depressed one night, and the next night you're going to be like, wow, God's changing this world, and I'm a part of it. Like, there's going to be so much of that. But you have to know it doesn't really matter as long as you stay close. It doesn't matter how big or small your ministry is or, 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 or if it feels like you're doing something significant. It just matters. Are you close to Jesus? Because that's always your first calling. So Jesus calls them in before he calls them out. He, he lets them know that their first calling is always going to be him. And this is a really high-capacity city. So it can be really dangerous for you to get caught up in the mission. Because you're always looking for, what's next, God? What do I do next? What's the amazing thing I can do next? What's the amazing job I can have? What's the amazing calling that you're going to give me? And we can get really caught up in that. And God wants you to know first, get to the prayer closet. Get to the mountain. Then we'll talk about that stuff. Do you have a good rhythm? Do you have a good romance? And then we'll talk about that other stuff. Now, these men, again, I think are ready, and Jesus thinks are ready, and so he says, I'm going to appoint you next. 
And I want you to watch who he appoints and how he appoints them. Verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Again, again, if we let the Bible teach us the Bible, we're going to find out not only does he give them authority to cast out demons, but he gives them authority to do other things. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, important, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Right? It's either, either like really amazing or it's like his, I'm upset with your name. Like sons of thunder. I don't really know, okay? I thought that was pretty funny. Verse 18, <clears throat> Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, Bart, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. All right, there's so much in here in this cast of characters. Uh, many of them get new names, which in the Bible is super significant. It means it kind of goes along with their calling. Right? You, have, you have Saul that becomes Paul. You have Abram that becomes Abraham. I mean, it, 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 that's significant all throughout the scriptures. And Peter, Simon gets the name Peter. Now, Peter fits Simon really well, okay? Because it really means a rock. Some people mean it's, it's the rock. It's what Jesus builds his church on. Now, when Jesus tells Peter that, He's saying, what you said about the gospel is what I'm going to build my church on. Okay? But Peter means a rock, something that can be really firm, really strong, really bullheaded, and also something that can really be tossed around. And that's totally Peter. If you read Peter's story, you're like, oh, that's totally Peter. And so, so God gives him the name Peter. And then he gives these other guys the name Sons of Thunder. It's awesome. Like, I feel like you got to say it like, Sons of Thunder. I feel like you have to... Do this. I don't know what this is. Like, is it Spider-Man or is it like, yes. But I feel like you have to. It's the sons of thunder. I just part. So you got Peter. You got sons of thunder. And then you got Bart. Like, when was the last time you went to small group and you're like, all right, we're doing a character study. We got to hit the epic story of Bartholomew. Or you sat your kids down and you're going to do the night story, or you're at dinner, and you're like, we're going to talk about the epic adventures of Bart. It never happens. Because Bart has no legacy. Bart is on a list with everybody else, and that's all he is. Now, we're going to find out Bart does amazing things for God. Bart actually dies for Jesus. Okay, so that's pretty significant. But his legacy is not going to be big. Here's what I'm saying. Your legacy may be Sons of Thunder or Bart, but your significance to Jesus does not change on any of that spectrum. See, in the same way we have an idol of significance in the church, we also have an idol of legacy. People talk about it all the time. I'm guilty of this. When I did a... I did a, a youth retreat back in the day. It was one of the first ones I got to like organize myself and do some of the teaching at. And uh, it was a big church. There was a bunch of kids going and buses. So it was a big deal. We started planning for a long time. And I, I, I called it legacy. I wanted these kids to put their thumbprint on the world. And all that sounds pretty good. Be history makers. Right? I threw that out there. Right now, one of the biggest uh, conferences, men's conferences in the world, is called Legacy. It's all about creating a legacy. I don't think any, like there's some really good strings in that. But let me ask you this question. What if God doesn't care about your legacy? What if God doesn't 
tie your significance to your legacy at all? What if you sat down with Jesus today, like you had this outer body experience, he sits in this chair, you sit in this chair, and he's going to give you a catch-up, right? A little bit of a, maybe, maybe you're like one of those people that died for like two minutes and you met with Jesus and then you came back. I don't know, there's like 12 books on that, okay? Let's just, just, just play with me here. Maybe you're one of these folks, and he does a little catch-up. Remember, God has mountain perspective, we have street perspective. So he's going to tell you how you're going to do and how you've been doing, right? And what he says to you is... Actually, your legacy is not going to be that big. Really, only 15 people or so are going to remember you and love you a whole lot. And you're like, 15 people? Come on. Church said I was going to be a history maker. I was around people all the time. You're a history t shirts. History maker. Well, some people, but this person, maybe you're sitting down with Jesus and he's like, really, your legacy is not that big. And in about 20 years, because you're a little bit older, Everyone's going to forget you. He says to you, but, but, I love you to death. You're so significant to me. You were so faithful. You were so humble. I saw the way that you mopped the church floor. I saw the way that you served in children's ministry when you just wanted to go and listen to the message. I saw the way that you fed the homeless. I saw the way that you gave your money away. I saw all these things, and none of these people saw these things, but, man, I saw them. And you are so significant to me. That's why I died for you. That's why you get to spend eternity with me in heaven. And I'm going to love you forever. That's your, that's your legacy. You good with that? Because for most of us, that's what it's going to be. Now, some of you, I mean, you're going to be like uh, the 0.000000003% that are famous. Maybe, in this room. There's a good chance that none of us are going to be famous. And others of you are going to be just the person that just is super faithful, humble for Jesus, and, and you're on a list, but you're not the sons of thunder. You're not Peter. And my, my question for you this morning is, are you good with that? It's a really good test, isn't it? It's a really good test to see where your significance lies. Because for me, I was not okay with that. 12 months ago, I wasn't good with that. Um, after he tells you who you are, after he calls you to him, he appoints you. He appoints you. And after he appoints you, he gives you authority. But you have to know where your significance lies first before he gives you the authority. Here's, here's him giving authority. Back to verse 15. And you have authority to cast out demons. Again, elsewhere... Uh, he's going to give us other types of authority. But I want, I want to talk about two things to end off here. One, I want you to notice that as soon as they know who they are in him, he sends them out. His command is not, okay, now spread out, sit in church, and be fed. It's not his command. He gives them authority to go out, and he gives them appointment. I think we need this. Can I just be real? Our missional communities are called missional communities for a reason, because they're communities on mission. But when we go on mission, about 15% of our people show up. The church does not, the American church, the movement of church, does not need another consumeristic church. We just don't need it. We don't need it. We need to be the church. 
that knows as soon as you are a follower of Jesus, as soon as you know he's called you in, it's time to go. It's time to get out there. But Justin, this stuff is uncomfortable. Perfect. We're going to be around non-believers, people who don't know Jesus. It's going to be messy. We're not going to know what, we, what we're doing. We're going to get there. Somebody else is going to be running it. We're not going to get to organize all the details. Somebody else is going to be running it. And we're just going to have to show up, serve, and love people. And, and if we get a chance, talk to them about Jesus. And that is terrifying. I get it. I'm not going to lie. I'm a pastor. Still terrifying for me. I get there, and I'm like, oh, Jesus. Help me talk to somebody about Jesus if I need to. But I'm hoping you don't put me in one of those conversations. This is just my realness, you know? And if you're real, too, you're thinking the same thing. It's okay. But I'm there. I was out there yesterday in the Heights. You know, we're, we're setting up for a bar. They're having a block party. This is me and Ryan and our, and our spouses. And we're like, all right. We put on T-shirts. Let's do this thing. And it was uncomfortable. But it's, I'm there. I'm sweating, but I'm here. Let's go. This is all we're asking. Because the first thing he does when, when, when he calls you in is go, this is who you are. All right, now we're out. Let's go. And he does this thing where he sends out 72 people in the New Testament. And you guys remember this? He sends out 72 people. He sends them out two by two. And he gives them authority not just to cast out demons, but to heal people and do other things. And they come back, and they're amped. They're like, Jesus, guess what we did? He's like, what? They're like, we casted out a demon. I told a demon, bang, and he left. I read the scripture sometime. They're super pumped about what they did. They're like, I told a disease to bounce in the name of Jesus, and it did. I mean, they're walking with swag back to Jesus. And I want you to see what Jesus tells them. Verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's a good thing. I've given you authority to trample on snakes, that's Satan, and scorpions, I think, I, I think that's the Pharisees, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Amen. Verse 20. However, however, but do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It ain't about what you do. It's not about the amazing thing that you did for Jesus. It's about the family that you're called to. Rejoice in that, that God calls you son, God calls you daughter. You're going to be in heaven for eternity. It's not about what you do, because sometimes you're going to walk up to a demon, and you'll be like, hey, demon, get out. Demons be like, who are you? And you're going to lose. Are you going to pray by someone's bedside, and the cancer's not going to go. The leg won't be healed. Sometimes you'll win, sometimes you'll lose, sometimes you'll do amazing things, and sometimes you won't do such amazing things. But that's not where your value lies. Your significance lies in the fact that your significance lies in the fact that Jesus called you to himself, and who he calls, he appoints, and who he appoints, he gives authority to. Can I just finish my story from the beginning and, and worship team coming up here? I just finished my story. Um, so this moment where I'm, I'm living in this kind of dark place, uh, we're, we're planting this thing. We're planting this church together, City Life. Some of you guys knew that I was a little bit dark and depressed. And others of you were like, huh, you are? Uh, because anybody can kind of put on a face for church, right? I needed to figure out a way to get out of this. I wasn't 
I wasn't sinning in that darkness. I mean, I, I sinned just like everybody else. But it wasn't leading me to be rebellious against God. It was just leading me to be, ah, this sucks. Right? That's kind of how I felt. And I remember the moment where I started to get out of it and crawl out of it. First, I, I just, for 40 days, I talked about what I was grateful for. And you can steal that anytime you want. Like, if you're ever feeling depressed, start there. Just every day, write out a list of things that you're grateful for and get really specific. But the other thing that pulled me out is I'm sitting at my table at my little island in my, in my, in my kitchen. The kids went to bed. Ann was downstairs getting ready for bed. And I felt Jesus ask me, if this church plant fails, are you going to be okay? And for the first time, I answered yes. For the first time. Because he had been asking me for six months. I'm like, no, this is what I moved here for. I picked up my whole family. I'm yelling at God for six months. <laughs> A year, whatever it was. For the first time, I'm like, yeah. I'm all right. I'll still serve you, still love you, you still love me, I'll still be by your side, and you still died for me and my family, and we have each other, so yeah, I'll be all right. Now, some of you who are, who are with me in that phase and with us at City Life in that phase are like, hold up, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> we, but I needed to be at that place as, as your pastor, and you got to be at that place as a follower of Jesus, because my real significance is in him and my relationships, and I'm not going to lose those no matter what I do. Okay, unless it's some significant thing, sin or something. But I, I didn't feel in danger of any of that. I just, I just knew that if this didn't go, I, I'd be okay. Can you get there? What is it you're chasing after? If you don't get that thing, are you okay? Let's pray. your eyes with me and, uh, and remember uh, if God is speaking to your heart this morning you're very welcome to head up to our communion table, take communion sit in the first couple rows, pray um, if, if you want prayer just sit there for a little while, someone will come pray with you, some, some people from our prayer squad will come with you but God we want to respond to you today we thank you that no matter what we do no matter what we're appointed to no matter how we use your authority or not, we thank you that our significance lies in you, who you made us, what you call us, the name that you give us. It's not in our legacy if a billion people remember us after we die. It's that you remember us after we die. I pray that today people are able to sift through some of the things I said. Some of the things that I said are that can be held in tension and I pray that you can help people wrestle with those things as they go home. Love you, Jesus. You are our first love. Our first calling is to you. And we celebrate that this morning together as a family. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Would you stand up? Would you pray? Or would you, would you worship with me?